coming up this week off screen. The Huntsman's back for Winter's War. Dev Patel is the man who knew Infinity. Robin Williams takes us down the boulevard. We meet Deepan. And spend time with a couple in a hole. All those to come and more off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. the latest film news and reviews this is Offscreen the on-screen radio show Welcome to Offscreen I'm Van Connor I am still Case Allen still to this day so we had a a week off we had a nice break did you have a nice break Case? I had a fantastic break Van did you you go away did you do something fun? Um, just kind of hung out watched loads and loads and loads of films loads of TV shows Daredevil oh Daredevil Daredevil while we were away of course yes Mm. And, uh, and that was so much fun, wasn't it? Oh, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, so we've got we've got a fairly mixed bag this week. There's a couple that are atrocious. There's a couple that are half decent. There's one that's faintly good. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's a bit all over the shop. I mean, we we did tap out before the break with with Batman Superman. So, and of course, there has been a lot of backlash on that. And we will address that backlash at varying points throughout the show. <laughs> you have been chomping at the bit to address the backlash. I hate the backlash. But we're going to start then with uh, The Man Who Knew Infinity, which is based on a true story, which has in turn become a novel, which has now in turn become a film. And this is the story of Ramanujan, as he is as he is referred, um, played by Dev Patel, who is, an, for the lack of, for the best description would be, he is a, an, uned, an uned, uneducated, un, unqualified Indian mathematician during the days of the British Empire, who goes to Cambridge, goes to Trinity College in Cambridge, and becomes the pioneer of the theory of partitions, where he is under the watchful gaze and sponsorship of Dr. Hardy, played by Jeremy Irons, because Jeremy Irons hasn't been in a film for a whole fortnight now, so, and, and <laughs> unlike that one, he needs something to do here, yeah. so he gets a great big role, and on that note, here's a clip. Intuition can only carry you so far. Stop! I can't hear this anymore. Intuition? You say this word as if it is nothing. Is that all it is to you? All that I am? Look, I'm sorry. Am I missing something? You've you've never even seen me. Let alone know me. You, You are a man of no faith. I don't see pictures of anyone here, not even family. Who are you, Mr. Hardy? How dare you? How dare you judge me? But it is you who does of me, don't you see? No. Quite frankly, I don't. Jerry, this is one of those films. It would be best described as the theory of everything in a beautiful mind. Mm. Or the theory of a beautiful mind, or the theory of a beautiful everything, or because it is those two films sort of mashed together, and there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a racial element to it. I mean, in the clip that you can't, you obviously can't see, it's an audio clip. Uh, Dev Patel has been assaulted, and he's all bruised. Can you not see the bruises on my face? And and yeah, it, it's set during the sort of colonial war, to, uh, I think World War One, I, I believe it is, and it's got a hell of a cast. So, but they're all cast members who are playing the sort of roles that you know them for playing anyway. Anyway. Mm. So Dev Patel is really not being tested here. This is Dev Patel <laughs> doing exactly what you know Dev Patel can do, because you've seen Dev Patel do exactly this uh, multiple times. Uh, Jeremy Irons, this is not exactly pushing Jeremy Irons' limits, you know what I mean? This is not Leosons Dangerous, is that it? Is that how you say it? And then you've got Toby Jones, for instance, turns up to be Toby Jones! Just to be Toby Jones. It's, he might as well. They call it because he's called Little, Little Wood, I think his name is. And you think, why didn't you just call him Toby Jones and have done with it? And, you know, uh, Kevin McNally, and you get pretty decent cast in there. But it is exactly what you think it's going to be. Having said that, you, you would expect it to be quite interesting, and it is quite interesting. It's, it's decently written. The story is quite compelling. Ramanuja is an interesting enough guy, and the story is, well, as, as interesting as the story about mathematicians could possibly be. And the problem is, it is it's filmed by, it's written and directed by Matt Brown. And I'm not familiar with Matt Brown's body of work, other than knowing that, well, he did a film, he wrote a film called Rope Walk. 15 years ago. I'm and not he's, familiar he's with kind that. of done nothing since, from yeah. according to his IMDb uh, listing. And you think it kind of shows because it's a very televisual film. 
It very much feels like, hey, it's Sunday night, it's 9pm, it's BBC <laughs> Two, it's Wayne's World. No, I'm kidding. I lose that last bit. But it's Sunday night, it's BBC Two. And it feels like that kind of a film. And I, I was talking to, to John Hearn about it afterwards, and he had real issue with how it was shot. He said... It, there's so many unnecessary mm. close-ups. It feels like they take close-ups just for the sake of them. I found it to just be kind of slapdash. In a sense, I didn't take issue with it the way he did. I just found it to be kind of slapdash. Mm. And you know, conversely, disproportionate in terms of, uh, for instance, the Danish girl, where you simply stand on the other side of a long room and shoot your <laughs> film that way. This Thank is you very much, Tom Hooper. <laughs> exactly. This is like the opposite. This is yeah. pretty much. I'm going to shoot this close because it's all meant to be deep and caring. So this man is the anti Hooper. <laughs> the anti Hooper. That's exactly how it is. You won't be bored by it. It is an entertaining and it is an interesting film. There's a couple of narrative elements that you think maybe you should have been slightly more fleshed out and it does at one point include the thing that really annoys me about period piece films which is as soon as any given character has a cough they're going to die that happens all the time <laughs> that. that happens all it's the like, time it's like in a movie where someone gets shot in the foot as, as long as blood <laughs> doesn't come out of their mouth they'll be okay but the second blood comes out of their mouth they're going to yeah, die that's, it. Yeah. that's that's the rule worm food and yeah, they're worm food. They, they clearly are. We just just start dig, just start digging that grave now. And <laughs> it is like this. At one point, a character in the film does have that moment of "I'm going to cough," but it's not going to be innocent because apparently no one before 1970 ever just had a cough. Have they, have they got like a handkerchief as well? Yes, of they've course. got a handkerchief, course, yeah. a handkerchief with the blood. You know, yeah, you know the one. You, you've <laughs> got to have that. You've got to have yeah. that because before 1970, nobody ever just had a cough. <laughs> That's how it works, <laughs> right? So now that we've belittled that true story. <laughs> <laughs> so there is there is some interesting film news this week. We should uh, we should kind of catch up. We'll get get a few in while we while we're going along. And uh, well, should we talk about Sharknado? Hmm. <sighs> I'm so happy this is the first piece of film news. Can, yeah, can I just yeah. Talk, say how happy I was to be the one who got to text you and tell you this while we were away? Um, <laughs> so we have an official title for Sharknado Four. Yeah, or you know Sharknado Part D or Part yeah, whatever. It's going to be Sharknado colon The Fourth Awakens. And it's going to premiere as if by magic on my birthday of all this. It's on July thirty no first. So imagine what we're doing for my birthday now, case. <laughs> Watching the first three followed by the premiere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was going to go and check out the City World VIP screen at some point, but now I'm thinking of hell with that. Yeah. Sharknado, baby. <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, starring starring the likes of Gary Busey and, and you know, he's playing Teague's a scientist, he's, isn't he? He's playing a scientist. Wow. Because this is the world that Sharknado takes place in. But uh, we should uh, we should then move on to the top ten. Let's get the first yeah. half of the top ten out of the way. Number ten. The detergent series. Absorbent. <laughs> Detergent absorbent. Uh, how, you know, we've just had a half term, haven't we? That's why it's back in. It is. It is. So all the stragglers who didn't catch it at first. No. <laughs> Haven't we had another half term, though, in the lifetime of Divergent Absorbent? I feel like it's always half term. Do you know when you like leave school and college or whatever, it just seems like it's Damn kids are always off. Yeah. <laughs> you're done it, you're born. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's 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 a lacklustre continuation of this series, which I really want to like. And it is it's the best one of the series so far, but that's not that's really not a high bar, is it? Is it? No. no. And it's got Jeff Bridges being Jeff Bridges <laughs> uh, Jeff Bridges, Jeff Daniels being Jeff Daniels. Sorry, too many Jeffs. And <laughs> that's it really. That's the best thing it has going for it. Number nine. The boy. Which I've not seen. It wasn't press shown. I haven't had a chance to pop down the multiplex, despite having had like you know ten days off. Uh, <laughs> slacking, slacking. I know. Although we are going to have, I'm going to have to do that with Hardcore Henry and Midnight Special this yeah. week because there was no press show for Hardcore Henry, and Entertainment One decided that we weren't worthy of seeing uh, Midnight Special. So apparently, there are only six people in the country that earn that privilege. So uh, that's getting a bad review. Number eight. London has fallen. <laughs> London has fallen. But you know what? It fell so well that I wanted to go and see it a second time. That's how much. I loved it. It fell so hard and then stabbed me in the face. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. John Colson described it as head stabbing fun. And and I, I think that's the best way to describe it because it is head stabbing fun yeah. at its finest. It's it's dumb, it's crass, it's lumbered, it's cumbersome, it is just so idiotic. It's borderline brain dead at times, but you know what? It's so sunny and cheerful about it. You, you can't help but like it. And it's got Gerard Butler doing yeah. that thing that Gerard Butler does. What, is Scott, Scott American? <clears throat> I, I love the idea that Gerard Butler went to Hollywood to play an American, to then go to Bulgaria to play an American in London. Number seven. Madame Butterfly. It's a Met Opera. It's an opera I've actually seen. You've actually seen actually this seen opera. Seen but you're a very cultured man, Mr. Allen. Uh, would you say so? I, I would say you're fairly... Like a yoghurt. Like a yoghurt. <laughs> 
what what flavour of yoghurt? If you had to describe me as a yoghurt flavour, what would you? What would I be? Peach and passion fruit. That's a pretty good one. That's solid. Number six. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Which I really liked. I thought was, you, you liked it as well. Yes. It? It's a really cool, really suspenseful sort of character piece, really. There's no other way to describe it. It plays on its genre conventions very well. It has the whole meta, uh, meta casting element with John Goodman, mm. which I think is something really to behold. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's another win from J.J. Abrams, who seems to be on something of a hot streak recently. And, well, obviously, because... Uh, Force Awakens hits Blu-ray in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Is, is it next week? Or? Is it next week? I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I am quite excited. I, I, I will know when Twitter tells me, and then I pop down Asda to buy the Steelbook or whatever. Yeah. But because do, do do we have DVD stores anymore? I think we just have supermarkets. We just have Tesco's, don't we? we just don't, Tesco. We don't have any other type of shop. We're just Tesco's. That's it. That's yeah. it. you know what? Time trumpets coming true. We are going to have the war of the Tesco's with the latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. And we're back in air guitaring. So, should we, uh, should we move on to this? Is the big, this is the big title of the week. This is. Is the, it? Is it really? <laughs> allegedly, this is the big title of the week. This is The Huntsman Winter's War. You know, the sequel to that epic Snow White one from a couple of years ago. And yeah, the, everyone's been after this. Yeah, be everyone's been on the edge yeah. of their seat saying, I really want a franchise out of Snow White and Huntsman. <laughs> the funny thing is, the min- the film hadn't even opened when they announced they were going to make a Huntsman movie. Yeah, but we're just like, Chris Hemsworth is a star. Let's sign him up now for many, many, many films. Many films. So what you have here is the result, a film which really should be entitled The Hemsworth, colon, Contractual Obligation. Uh, So this initially takes place before, the first half hour takes place before the events of Snow White and the Huntsman and shows you the origin story of the Huntsman, namely that he was a child soldier of... The Ice Queen, because Frozen apparently was quite popular. So now you I've, have... I've not seen it. Have you not seen it? No, I've, uh, I've seen it like 12 times, yeah, yeah. You, come on. You joke, Chris Wilson has never seen Frozen. Really? Has never done it, he'd never seen it. But if someone had redubbed Nick Cage as, as Elsa, I feel he'd be like, watching it straight away. I feel like that needs to be a YouTube video now. Yeah. It does. So what you have here is you have Charlize Theron's queen from the first movie in flashback form. Turns out she has a sister that she just never mentioned in the last movie, who... It had the power to control cold and ice. And because her heart was broken, she decided, to hell with love, I'll raise a child army. Because that's what you do. You know, if Makes you're going to declare war on love, you've got to have a child army. It's just in the rules. <laughs> it's in the rules. And then she has three that she likes particularly who look nothing like the actors that are going to grow up to play, and one of them happens to be really good with an ex, so you know he's going to be the huntsman, and then they fall in. he falls in love with his, his BFF slash girlfriend, played by Jessica Chastain, this is after he's become Chris Hemsworth, and they decide they're going to run off together, but the Ice Queen catches them and kills uh, Jessica Chastain, and Chris Hemsworth then pops off to do the entire plot of Snow White and the Huntsman, and then flash forward to Sam Clayfin cameoing. We're only 30 minutes into this film case. Okay. Uh, flash forward to Sam Claflin uh, cameoing as his character from Snow White and the Huntsman and no one remembers who he was playing because no one remembers Snow White and the Huntsman. I didn't even remember he was in that he, film. He was in that film. I, I really he like, was. I really like him. But I, I like him yeah. but it, that's how forgettable Snow White and the Huntsman was. And yeah. he's tasked with, uh, basically they, they are tasked with going and finding the missing mirror from the events of Snow White and the Huntsman which has apparently been transported and then attacked and the mirror is somewhere out there in the world. It's a source of great evil and no one can have it so the Huntsman, you're actually yawning at this point. Yes, I'm sure you I was all the way through the film. Mm. So, uh, the Huntsman teams up with two of the dwarves, only one of whom is one of the original dwarves from Huntsman. We have a new dwarf, played by Rob Brydon, who looks suspiciously like the love child of Lemmy and uh, Jimmy Nail. And you've then got Nick Frost, who returns from uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, and they go on this quest, and they encounter another pair of dwarves, who are played by uh, Sheridan Smith and Alexandra Roach from One Chance? One Chance with James Gordon? And they go on another adventure where they're oh my god would you believe Jessica Chastain is not dead she's actually alive and she's going to join them and go on this magical quest because it turns out the other queen is still alive and out there and we just never mentioned this during the entire events of Snow White and the Huntsman here's a clip I know why you're not talking do you you notice the sparks between me and Mrs. Broman I don't know what to say she's my type loud and angry well, that's what I'm used to, isn't it? Well, I'm awfully sure you'll have a good life together. 
Aye, aye, we would. There's a problem. Another woman. A bit taller. Not as pretty, mind you. She sounds far too clever to waste her time with you. Well, I remember at one time we were caught up in a net together. This was a, was a long, long time ago. Are you no the hero of every story you tell? Well, that's because I'm very brave. Which is why I'm going to save you from drowning. Some unpredictable waters around here. You're a right pollute. So are you. <laughs> I think, retroactively, we all owe Jude Law an apology for the events of Black Sea, in which I believe he was credited as having one of the worst Scottish accents. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't that bad. The Black Sea is noxic at depth. And that is a lot better than the drivel that comes out of the mouth of Chris Hemsworth. And God help us, <laughs> Jessica Chastain, who should never be... Did, did we learn nothing from Crimson Peak? No, don't let her do accents. Oh, yeah. She's oh, awful. She's not good at that. So, go on. Right, was he? This is. This might sound like a weird question. Was he? Was he Scottish in the first film? No, he was, and we all just forgot. That's how forgettable. Just I just that's forgot. How forgettable. That's it. Was it was so forgettable. I saw that film. I. I remember thinking Charlize Theron was really hot, but that was about it. Yeah. I mean, I do remember thinking it was kind of amusing. They kept referring to Kristen Stewart as the most beautiful and charismatic princess in the world. And then you looked and it was Kristen Stewart with a mopey face. And you're like, it doesn't make any sense. But, uh, yeah, okay. So, this has no narrative suspense or any enterta- even any entertainment value whatsoever. This feels, from start to finish, which incidentally... The gap between the start and finish line, 118 agonizingly long minutes. This just feels like a contractual obligation. It feels like we've got Chris Hemsworth on retainer. Let's use that. We're paying him anyway. <laughs> and wow, you, you just can't help but think that everyone involved in it knows it. If I were to compare it to anything, it would be to compare it to The Mummy Returns, which is, let's take a perfect... Well, <laughs> I'm calling Snow. I'm, I'm doing a disser- I'm doing an unfair credit, I think, to to Snow White and the Huntsman, here, yeah. which is perfectly solid first one, and then just go off the rails for this phoned-in second one. Of course, Snow White and the Huntsman was equally bad, but th- this is bad in a whole new way. This is directed with what seems to be no conscious effort whatsoever by the FX man who worked on the first movie, who said Ced- Cedric Nicholas Troyan, I believe, is his name. And (laughs) believe me, he's phoning it in as badly as his cast are. You have a screenplay here that has absolutely no momentum to speak of. It's almost as if it was designed entirely to appeal to the sort of audience who asked the question, wouldn't it be nice if someone just made a film in which stuff happens? And that's literally what you've got here. They're my favourite types of films. Yeah, I want a yeah. film where just stuff happens. What kind of stuff? I don't care. Just don't, as long just as it some happens. stuff, really. Yeah. And and give me like a, a lion man, black panthery type goblin creature, and and a big circular mirror ma- mirror turns into a man. And, and so and be, these are actual plot points. These are actual. Film. These are actual plot points. I'll put it this way: there, there is a point in which they, you know, about halfway through the movie, in which they go across a rope bridge over a river of liquid gold, and you think, well, why would you have a rope bridge unless purely for the sake of narrative, you're going to have that bridge come down? Mm. And then, lo and behold, wouldn't you know it? Down. As as if I am the oracle, my oracle himself. The bridge <laughs> comes down. God help us! It is the sort of phoned-in money grab sequel that makes the Mummy Returns, in comparison, look like the Dark Knight. And I am not exaggerating. You sit through this film, and to, to call it weak source would be to do a disservice to condiments. That's how <laughs> phoned in this is. It is. It's. It's a film. It, it marginally. It marginally manages to better the sheer and adulterated boredom of Batman Superman. But that aside, it is still the second worst major studio tentpole release of the year, hands down. Like easily so far. So far. Must be optimistic about it. Independence Day 2 is coming up. (laughs) I can put it this way. Independence Day 2 would have to try really, really hard. Independence Day 2 would have to show up as the Lone Ranger at this point in order to even come close to the level of sheer monotony induced by this film. Well... It's still. I don't know. Still the, the idea than... of the usual uh, sequel trait of just going to Europe, even a sci-fi alien invasion flick, 
they're just going to Europe. <laughs> That's what's going to happen in that Exactly. Um, avoid it like the plague unless you were lobotomized at some point and have somehow started to believe that Snow White and the Huntsman retroactively was a good movie, which it wasn't, and neither is this. So just, just avoid it. Do you know what? G.I. Joe Retaliation is a better sequel than this. Seriously. I'm not, this makes G.I. Joe Retaliation look like The Godfather Part 2. I did have a rock in it, though. Did have the rock, though. Yeah, it's kind of unfair, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, okay. So, uh, plug the podcast. we got to do that. Yeah. So, if you want to see here the expanded versions of this, and we are saving all of our Batman Superman ranting largely for the podcast extras. We've also got competitions to run. Um, ooh. Ooh, oh, yeah. Ooh. We've got midnight special competitions oh, have to we run. Oh, really? We've got it. We can't oh, wow. see the film, but we can run a competition. <laughs> Which is kind of the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate act of cheek. Damn yeah. you, E1. Which is like, you're sorry we can't see your film, but uh, hey, will you promote it for us? Yes, sure, why not? Pop along to onscreenfilm.com, go in our competition section, and you can win a variety of goods. And if you go in the Midnight Special Competition, you can win this really cool Light Effects t-shirt, and you get some headphones, cool. uh, you get some cool headphones, mm. and you get like an FM transmitter for your phone. You want to play your phone in the car, you get one of those, oh, with an nice. SD card reader yeah. and, and shiz, you know. Get all that. So onscreenfilm.com, podcast, onscreenfilm.com, the competitions. Either way, just pop along to the site. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back, and oh man, that 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 I did every time. I've, I've missed that. <laughs> so shall we? Uh, shall we have a look at? Uh, is it Deepan next? We're going to Deepan, yeah. Deepan, right? So this this is this is a strange one for me um, because it, it's uh, it's French anyway, so there's no there's no clip to play, and there's also no clip for the next review either, just because there really aren't any uh, any uh, dialogue heavy clips available for a couple in a hole. Okay. Um, so Deepan, which is the latest from Jack Oriard, you know the director of a Prophet. Oh, really? Yes, the director of a profit is back. And brace yourself for this, because it's one of the most fascinating ideas for a movie you've ever heard. Right, okay. The story is you've got a former uh, Tamil Tiger soldier, former child soldier from the Tamil Tigers in the Sri Lankan Civil War. Post-war, he becomes a refugee, and in the camps is given the identity of a dead man, along with the identities of the dead man's wife and child, which are assigned to a woman and a young child he randomly meets at the refugee centre. And the trio are sent off as a family to live in France and rebuild their lives. However, our former soldier discovers that the housing block in which he becomes the new caretaker is just a different kind of conflict zone. And all the uh, other low-level mobsters and drug dealers and wannabe crime bosses are in fact just as bad as any warlord that he could possibly have encountered before. So much so that when he actually does encounter a former warlord from his conflict days, which is a very brief moment, it's almost a non-event in comparison. And this is where it gets really interesting. Deepan himself, which is the alias assigned to our central figure, is played by a Sri Lankan novelist and former Tamil Tiger child soldier himself. So he's got form. So he's got form. Yeah. We are literally he's literally going back to the well for That's this one. Really interesting. It, it's fascinating. Yeah. Wow, how did you pull that one off? So <laughs> and, and his name is something you're about to bear with me because I, I have to pronounce this is is Jezethuzahan Jezethuzasan Anthony Thasan. That's his name. His middle name is Anthony. No, no, no. His surname is Anthony Thasan. Oh. Yeah. Right. Jezethuzasan. Anthony the Sound. Yes, there we it's are. Cool. Good name. So, this is kind of fascinating as a film, not just because of the whole, you know, the gimmick, let's get you know, natural, sort of, mm. well, as far as gimmicks. Can you call that a gimmick? Is that a gimmick? I wouldn't call it a gimmick. Don't really call it. It doesn't sound gimmicky. Fit, fitting casting, we'll call it. Or strangely <laughs> poignant good, casting. Good luck casting, I think. Good luck anything, casting. Yeah. So, first of all, he's amazing in it. He's genuinely brilliant in it. Mm. He brings such gravitas to this. It's a genuinely moving, wonderfully layered, very well textualized performance. Um, and then you've got, of course, you've got this brilliant supporting turn. Now, please forgive me with the with the, the names because I you know, I've not rehearsed it's it before okay. the show. You, you will do a much better job than me, I'm sure. Kalia Swari Srinivasan. That's her name. Who plays his sort of his would-be wife, effectively, and the pair are fantastic in this. She has such 
tension in her face at all mm. times. But it is a really, really gripping story. What you've got is, first of all, you've got this, this notable, very well-placed sort of sense of worldly cynicism to it all. So you've got, because you've got quite a heavy-handed film. It's obviously quite a heavy-handed story. But rather than being kind of naive about it, rather than being all kind of, you know a bit too Hollywood about it, it's given a sense of cynicism which, whilst not quite laugh-out-loud funny, has a sort of wry humour to it almost. Not that it's a funny film. It's not a funny film. <laughs> Please don't think it is. Um, but its strongest attributes outside of that come from both uh, Jezza- oh, Anthony Thassan and Audiard as a script. And his screenplay is fantastic. It is a really... It's a really well-gauged character piece, and it balances the character with the sort of the crime element of it, the, the grimy street-level war element of it, and it balances it all perfectly. And what it does is it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. It never quite goes in a direction you think it's going to, but that's that's part of that strength. The strength is just that you don't know where you stand with it, and when it does eventually build to the point of having to play, because it builds to a level where you just think you've got you've got to go for it at a point. When it plays the visceral card that you know it is building towards, it does so with genuine emotional heft, and it made me it made me think of that uh, you know that line that actresses always come out with: "I'll do a nude scene as long as it's you know integral to the story." Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like that. I'll do a violent action, you know, a blood curdling action sequence as long as it's vital <laughs> to the story. This film actually does that. But it's because of those performances working in tandem with it, which are really raw, really natural performances, that it all has this emotional heft. And it is all about that emotional heft. I think the, the your daughter character is somewhat overlooked in it all. But it is, other than that, a genuinely terrific, really stirring drama. And if we're really honest, is it Audiard? Audiard or Oyard? How do you say it? Audiard or Oyard? Uh, Oyard. Must Oyard. Yeah. I mean, we know Oyard can direct a film. We know that. We've all seen a prophet, and we know he can churn them out with the best of them. And yes, he brings that to the table once again. Fantastically <clears throat> shot film, grippingly written, really tense, really well acted. I'm blown away by it. I'm really blown away as well by by the the sort of culminating violent sequences in it, which actually, because they are earned, have that emotional sort of weight to them that you think, I hope a lot of Hollywood action directors see this and learn from it, because it's the kind of thing you think there's a lesson. Instead of just seeing this film and then remaking (laughs) it. Exactly. Rather than inevitably remaking this with Sangesh Ramamurthy and uh, who's the chick from the Mindy Project, rather than just doing that. (laughs) Mindy Kaling. Mindy Kaling, sorry. Rather than just remaking this with the you know the guy from Heroes and Mindy Kaling, but uh, which inevitably will probably happen now that I've said it out loud. But okay, so uh, there were a couple of film news bits that we didn't Mm. get to discuss. Did you hear about Sean Levy? This. Yeah, yeah. this is really really strange. Did did this not break your heart a little bit? It did, but I'll. We're, we're, we are on the same page. I we're think talk, we are. We're talking about certain remake, aren't we? We are talking about certain remake. So Sean Levy, who directed yeah. Real Steel and the Night at the Museum trilogy. And the Pink Panther remakes. Don't don't forget them. That made me hate you. Uh, <laughs> so, so Sean Levy is going to write and direct, so he's going to produce and direct yeah. a remake of Starman. Yeah. So, yeah. Right, right this is really strange, because I was having a conversation with Cassie and my best friend about Starman mm-hmm. um, on the day when that news broke. Oh, God. Like, we were talking, and we are like, oh, man, that film's incredible. Jeff Bridges is so good in it. And yeah, then yeah. that also, news came out. Also, how was Karen Allen not a bigger star? Karen Allen like was the love of my life when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, that, uh, Scrooged, and Raiders. I had Melanie oh Black from All Saints, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> different, really, yeah, di- really, really different women yeah. in her case. Well, we're very different people. Mm. So, incidentally, she actually did star in a film once. Melanie Black. It was a British uh, gangster comedy called Dog Eat Dog, right. and I have never actually seen it. Although I might look it up one of these days. I, I read the reviews at the time, and I was kind of mortified You're and thought I will dissuaded. never dissuaded uh, my love of my love of Melanie Blatt does apparently know a limit but uh, she, she was the Kristen Crook of her day that's all I'm going to say <laughs> so let's move on then to couple in a hole a it's film that's probably the best title of any <laughs> well do, do you know what it's about case um is it about a couple it actually is about a couple 
was in a hole. Looked in a hole. It is actually about. It is in in terms of narrative promise. This delivers (laughs) on a level like only snakes on a plane has reached before this. (laughs) So what you have here is you have Paul Higgins, who most of us know as Jamie from the thick of it. You know, Malcolm Tucker's equally evil subordinate, and Kate Dickey, who recently starred in The Witch. You know the one, the one oh, from Prometheus yeah. who starred yeah. as the wife in The Witch. Mm. The pair of them are a couple who have had tragedy in their lives and have basically given up on life and gone to live in a cave. And this is their life now. Into this mix comes uh, comes a, a strange new arrival, a Frenchman who mysteriously wants to befriend them and help them rebuild their lives. I mm. wonder why. Now, this is the point where I would normally say, we have a clip. We don't know because there there aren't any clips because so much of the film is dialogue free. It's quite a oh. silent film. Although I, I will say that Paul Higgins is absolutely brilliant in it, um, and very quickly sort of transcends the typecasting of the thicker because he was he played a very specific character in that, and he was fantastic at it. Um, as impressive as he is, however, and he does really bring his A game to it to, to a role that's so full of sort of repressed rage and desperation if you know what I mean, that kind of thing. And you've also got Kate Dickey, though, who is tremendous in this. She is this sort... She could so easily have been, like, the albatross around the film's, film's mm. night because she is the... She, well, she's she's the sort of grieving mother type figure. You can probably guess what the, the tragedy was. But uh, because she is, you know, mother who's lost a child, she, she, there's that sense that because she's so distraught by it, she could kind of be the least interesting element in it, but she brings so much... So it's immersion to it, so many, so much layering to it that you really do, you really do sucker for it. And she's <laughs> the pair of them together are terrific. Um, more to I've, I've written some stuff down somewhere it's because we didn't do the written reviews, and I do have them written. Down. See, I do write things down occasionally, guys. Okay, so what you've got really is it, it is the stirring character drama. It does have though a bit of a sting in its tail. Now that sting isn't a particularly uh, surprising one, just from the plot synopsis I've given you. You can probably hedge your bets on yeah. where that's going to fi- go. You can figure it out. You can probably figure it out. But it, it is a pretty effective sting. <laughs> it really is. Um, it is brilliantly shot. It is pointed towards the horror genre in terms of its visual style. It seems to lean more towards horror than anything else. Yet it is a straight-up character drama, nothing more. It's not a revenge tale. It's 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 not a thriller. Hmm. It is merely a character drama. And that it leans so poignantly towards horror, I think, is something genuinely impressive. It does also have, and I didn't get to get the name of the composer, this positively otherworldly score to it all. And that that you will just carry away after the film. You'll take the score away long after the film. I was hooked by it, though. I know it was quite divisive in the room. There were a lot of people that were like, what the hell was that? (laughs) And I was of the belief, you know what? It really was something different. It was something quite impressive at times. Mm. I'm sold on it. I really liked it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing, so we should finish the top ten for this yeah, week, the box office top ten. Let's get that done and dusted. Number five. My bigger, fatter, greekier wedding part two. <laughs> that would have been a better title, actually. Why wasn't My it bigger, title? fatter, greekier wedding. That would have been really good. Um, it is more of the same. I don't think it's as, uh, as you know... I don't think it's as well-structured as the first one was. But having said that, it's almost exactly as funny. Now, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. I can understand why people like it, though. You know, it's it's, it's like Zoolander for me in that regard. I know it has its fans. I respect that. It's not for me personally. The sequel is worse. You know, that's just how it is. But uh, like I say, it, it, it's spending time with characters you love, and I think that is the idea of it. It's for the it's people. For that, yeah, it's yeah. a nostalgia trip. <laughs> and fair play if you're into that. Great films for you. If not, not number four. Kung Fu Panda Free. And you say this is one where I didn't. I, well, it's not that I didn't like the the last ones. I, I just don't remember them really. I found they them didn't stick of, in your mind. They as didn't much. stick on mine. I found them forgettable. And yet I went into Kung Fu Panda Three, not really remembering at all. And I had the time of my life. I thought it was great fun. You know, three D whirling, brightly coloured, vivid, action packed, comedic fun. And yeah, that works for me. I'm happy with that. You know, Jack Black's entertaining of. I love James Hong as the goose stepfather. He gets I, to do. He lot, gets yeah. to do stuff because he's paired with Brian Cranston as yeah, Poe's actual father. I really liked it. I love the song. Hence, we have another button. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, well, speaking of songs, we really love number three. <laughs> 
cry every uh, day. I not heard it for two weeks. <laughs> two you weeks. had a fortnight off. Um, uh, I had that added to my playlist about 30 seconds after we finished the last show. So, really? yeah. Uh, um, uh, Zootropolis or Zootopia, depending on where you are in the world. Exactly, yeah. 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 We're dependent. It's, I can't figure that one out. Why? The I'm not sh- Zootropolis no makes more sense. But yeah. what a film. What a yeah. ride. Incredible. It, it, it is such a, a meaty, substantial mm. film. When it could have been so phoned in. It could have been. Like, on the surface, it's a Disney film where it's just talking animals. And then you You've, go to see the film. Yeah. And have you been to the Disney store since it's been out? Because there's Zootropolis no, stuff everywhere. everywhere. Oh, you oh, can great. buy a lot of the sloth. There's a lot of the sloth <laughs> in there. And What's there's a Flash. Flash. And because he's everyone, I think it's everyone's favorite character in it. Yeah, I personally like the little little uh, baby type creature. But oh, uh, with the big ears. Yeah, with the big yeah. ears. Such a good time. Uh, such a meaningful, surprisingly meaningful and deep film mm. as well. And f- I'll be honest, it is one of my favorite films of the year. Hands down, so far. Number two, Eddie Eagle, which we didn't get to actually review yet. No, and I haven't seen. You it haven't yet. seen. It. Really right, okay. See here's it. Eddie the Eagle in thirty seconds or less. It's effectively Cool Runnings with a bit there of kitchen is. with a bit of kitchen sink charm. Yeah, and with kitchen sink humour, I would say. Um, you will chuckle. You will be. Your interest will be held. Uh, it won't challenge you, however. And it is played as a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of an affair. But it, its heart is very squarely in the right place, and you, you will be amused and you will be entertained, and that's it, really. You just won't be challenged. And, you know, it's, it's a 6 out of 10 kind of film. It's a, it's a 7 out of 10 film. Your 6 is a bit a bit, uh, a bit harsher, I think. But it's, it's an entertaining enough Sunday it's afternoon ride. Number one. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, or Yawn of Justice. Yawn of Justice is, is everything you, you need to say about it. Um, huh. Right, uh, let's just get this done and dusted with, uh, and save the rest for the podcast extras. I was going to say, we'll, we'll save the real bile. We'll save player. the real bile for the podcast extras so radio people don't have to suffer it. Um, the film is rubbish. Um, anyone who tells you it isn't rubbish doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. Um, that's it. It does not have a beginning, middle, and end. It does not have a single character arc. It doesn't have a single actual narrative arc. It is a film that at one point literally resorts to its central plot point being a jar of urine. Um, actual thing. Yeah, you, you've got that look. Everyone, everyone uh, when I say that, everyone has that look. Oh it? my God, yes. Grand, grandma's peach tea. Grandma's peach tea, which of grandma's course is a tea. jar of urine. And uh, I could not for the life of me explain what the hell they thought the Jesse Eisenberg character in this was meant to be. Um, because no... It is the laziest, the well, actually, no, the laziest because effort seems to have gone into it. It is the worst studio movie of 2016, hands down. It is a movie that makes the Lone Ranger look like young guns by comparison. I feel like Lone Ranger is getting quite a lot of heat today. I hate the Lone Ranger with a fiery passion. Were you just not in the cinema for that final train? Sequence? Which one? There were 16 train sequences. And they were all great. My actual, I think my actual notes of, uh, for The Lone Ranger genuinely contain, at one point, holy, train. holy crap, train. another train sequence. Yeah, it's a big part of the film. And Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. But, uh, you know, giant spiders are a big part of Wild Wild West. Doesn't mean we should forgive that. Was John Peters a producer on this? John Peters. John Peters actually is a producer on Batman Superman. Well, that just explains it. That explains everything. So, let's talk about Boulevard, then. Last one for the week. Mm. And, uh, okay, so this is the final film to star Robin Williams. This is it now. We're done. This is is no more Robin Williams after this. Which is sad. I'm very sad about that. Mm. So, Robin Williams plays a sort of Ned Flanders-like good guy, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Okay. Too nice for his own good. That's just the idea. And uh, he's, you know, happily married man. He's 60 years old, happily married man. They have no kids. And one day, after visiting his uh, his his father, who's in a you know, home, on the way out, uh, he encounters a young male prostitute with whom he strikes a sort of, uh, well, friendship, for lack of a better term, and discovers a relationship in which he has someone to talk to and confide in for the very first time. And this relationship, before he knows it, starts to consume his entire life and basically bring his world, his 60-year-old world, crashing down around it. And, of course, this stars Robin Williams, so you know it's it's going to have you know a lot of charm and charisma to it. And, of course, Bob Odenkirk, because, well, yeah. Here's a clip. Hey. Oh my God, Nolan, what happened? Attractive, huh? What the hell happened? Well, there was a filing cabinet, you know, Q through S jammed, and I don't know my own strength. 
That has to be the worst excuse I've ever heard. And I'm in a position to hear a lot of them. Did the dog eat your homework as well? I can't fool you, can I? No, you can't. So what happened? What, were you out fighting crime in your secret life? Or? There it is. You figured it out. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Is Patty hiring anybody, uh, you know, right now at the restaurant? Yeah. You know, there's a thing called the Segway. It gets you from one topic to the next one. You look into it. Oh, I, oh, listen, it's for a relative of a friend. You know, a kid needs a break. I'm just trying to help somebody out. But of course, there's an ulterior mode. Yeah, yeah, you, you get the idea. Yeah. Now, the fascinating thing about this film is, I, I, it, it's intriguing to me actually that Robin Williams would 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 take this on at the stage in his career that he was actually at mm. shortly before the end, and because Robin Williams had, as far as I know, in in his last few years, decided to divert back into comedy. So this represents something incredibly interesting, because this is this is really a to the bone character story. This is very much about a conflicted man and obviously given the male posture angle he is conflicted about his sexuality that is the obvious narrative hook but the film in, you know, sets out to basically avoid making that its focus and that's what makes it work so well it really is about Robin Williams' character simply being too nice and too accommodating for his own good he simply wants to make everyone he encounters happy that is it that's his that's his failing and of course his own happiness is falling by the wayside as a result and now obviously as you expect from a Robin Williams performance it's fantastic <laughs> Robin Williams' performance is great. It doesn't quite have the verve, the you know, the, mm. the energy that you want from him, because he did that so well. Um, it is more of a. I mean, it is one of his sad clown projects. The term we always use, and in the case of Robin Williams, probably isn't the most appropriate one. But uh, it, it, you know, we if this were Bill Murray, we would say it was one of his sad clown projects, and. It, it is well performed, but it doesn't have his usual wah, you know, factor to it. Even in even in his dramatic turn, that was he almost was, a bit opportunistic, man. Almost, yeah. <laughs> almost. But even in his more dramatic performances, Robin Williams always brought that great energy to it, yeah. and I think it's something that is lacking from arguably the screenplay more than anything else. Now, this is directed. This is directed by Dito Montiel. Whom this is? This is what you really like. This is with the director of Fighting. Remember Fighting? Yeah, the Channing, the Channing Tatum always. Fighting movie, yeah. brilliantly entitled Fighting. fighting. <laughs> well, there's fighting in it, it's exactly. Fighting. But also the director of A Guide to Recognizing a Saint, and that's what comes oh, into really? play because there is huh. something of an air of A Guide to Recognizing a Saint to it. And you think back to is it Shia LaBeouf's performance in that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it Channing Tatum as well? Was it Channing Tatum? Uh, might, might be getting the two oh, confused. Yeah. But there is something of a, there is something of an air of that film uh, present throughout. Um, there is, of course, a decent sport cast. Kathy Bates is uh, Kathy Bates. Kathy Baker. Sorry, Kathy Baker. Borderline heartbreaking as Nolan Robin Williams's wife. Um, for obvious, again, for obvious reasons. Bob Odenkirk, who brings that Bob Odenkirk charm. You know the mm. the, the the thing we're denied in Better Call Saul because of the nature of that character. That sort of warmth that he kind of lacks, and then of course you've got uh, the, the the I suppose antagonist really of the piece, who's Eddie, who's played by Roberto Aguirre, whom I don't really know from elsewhere, and I think he brings the right level of sincerity uh, and and depth to it, but he's held back a little bit by very worn writing. You get this with prostitute characters in movies. It, it is a cliched prostitute character, and that's the problem with it. Because it's written as, oh, you know, the world's terrible. Ah, you, you know nothing. And yeah, okay, and you think, oh, okay, you kind of let the side down a bit. But as a final piece for Robin Williams, it's it's a solid effort. Yeah. It, it is not amongst his finest mm-hmm. works, though. And I go into a Robin Williams movie expecting a, expecting to, to give it a certain level of love, and I don't, I didn't get that from this. And I I found that particularly heartbreaking since it's the last the time. The last time it's ever going to happen. I know, and I'm never going to get to walk into another Robin Williams film for the first time again. No, and but I you find can always. That Rewatch like twenty of his absolute best films. I watched Awakenings the day he died. Just thinking of Awake, what Sky One showed it the day he died. After he died, no, no, the the day because he when it was announced, it was announced first thing in the morning, I believe, that he died. Mm. That night, Sky One showed Awakenings. I remember watching Um, Hook when he died. Uh, I watched it about a month later. Right, but uh, yeah, because everyone has a favorite Robin Williams Mm. film. Awakenings is a great film. I like Toys. I like film. toys, but it's weird. It is weird. Oh, it's it so is. weird. Jamie Foxx is in toys. For is like he? A split second, yeah. yeah. It's his first ever film role. Oh, well. Might so, obscure Jamie Foxx knowledge from a day. 
I, I'm fascinated that we have such a thing as obscure Jamie Foxx knowledge, but yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> so, uh, film of the week, I'm, I'm going to give this one as a bit of a toss-up uh, mm. between uh, the man, the man who knew Infinity and the Huntsman and Deepan. Deepan, because that's like my favourite kind of pizza. But, <laughs> You've been dying so, to say that. I have, I have. Actually, it was it was Emily Clark who, uh, who brought that one up for me, so I, I owe her for the gag. But uh, yeah, you start so getting your own comedy writers. It, it is. Yeah. I have my I have my own comedy writers. <laughs> <laughs> Do you go to a synagogue? Then you can write comedy for me. That's how it works. <laughs> Where's Woody Allen? Okay. That's, that's it. I will only have comedy writers who visit synagogues. That's how it works. That's the Peter Griffin rule. So, uh, let's look at what we've got uh, coming up next week, because this is going to be an interesting one mm. well, next week, I suppose. We've got Einstein in Guadalajara next mm. week, which is the new one from Peter Greenaway, which th- that kind of makes it something of an event movie, I suppose. <laughs> we've got Rebecca Ferguson's return in Despite the Falling Snow. We have that movie in which in which Ryan Reynolds switches bodies with a younger. Oh no, that's that's no no. It's it's yeah. He's done the same movie. Why has he done the same movie twice? Because money. Because money. So yeah. criminal, starring Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Costner. He's not even his name is not on the poster. Not for on that. the poster. No, it's not. So, um, so criminal is out next week. Kevin Costner doing some action stuff there. We've got uh, Bollywood film Fan to cover next week. That's going to be an interesting one as well. Uh, we've got The Jungle Book next week as well. I've been waiting. I'm, I'm looking waiting for forward this one. to that. Yeah. We sent Calvin down to the FX presentation that they did with John Favreau. So that oh, really? you could interview John Favreau, and uh, he, he's been talking about it nonstop ever since. So the movie has a lot to live up to. And Eye in the Sky is out next week, but Entertainment One don't want us to see it, so we won't be reviewing it. So this has been the Candy Store production for uh, On Screen. I've been Van Collar. I've been Case Allen. I will be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit OnScreenFilm.com. Podcast extras time, Mr. Allen. So what do you want to do first? Do you want to uh, go through the rest of the film news or do you just want let's to rip all... the hell out of Batman Superman for a bit? Let's have an appetizer of film news. Let's, right, let's okay. Wet, wet I'm, I'm sipping my coffee while we do this. Okay, yeah. um, you know how they've been trying to reboot Dungeons & Dragons since about 20 minutes after the first one opened 15 years ago? Fat Jeremy Irons in it as well. Maybe <laughs> it did have some kind of theme. <laughs> the thing I always remember about the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which was two thousand and one, thereabouts. No, it was two thousand. It was two thousand. Was it? It was two thousand because if you went to see Dungeons and Dragons, you got the trailer for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> is the most the most depressing thing imaginable. An hour and a half later, when you walk out of Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, uh, which I actually saw the Odin, your favorite Odin. I went to see that. Oh no way. But they've been trying to reboot it ever since, and they've now found a director. Have you heard who is directing this? Sean Levy because remakes <laughs> no although he's kind of a similar director Rob Letterman the director of Goosebumps is going to direct that it that makes sense I think actually, actually yeah that could yeah, kind of work because work. Goosebumps did the wacky stuff quite well but you know the the it believed in its worldly setting so, so basically enough. we're going to get Jack Black as some kind of eccentric <laughs> wizard that's what's going to happen yeah, yeah. I, w- I would cameo. put 10 English pounds on that happening what what English pound? What was the English form? Eh? As opposed to Spanish pounds? What, what am I? Spanish pound. <laughs> Just it's it's a saying. Right, Alex Gibney. We got to talk about Alex Gibney. Alex Gibney oh, yeah. is following in the footsteps of Asif Kapadia and switching from documentary to what, what's the term they use? It's uh, true event uh, true event narrative. I think it is. Is that the term they use? True event narrative. True event narrative, something like that. Which basically means it's a true story, but it's an actual fictional thriller. You know, So he's directing the action for Lionsgate, which is the story of a burglary which uncovers uh, J. Edgar Hoover's surveillance and intimidation of anti-war protesters. So that, that could work. I can That's see why it. Alex Gibney yeah. would do that. That mm. kind of makes sense. Um, oh, the cast of Sicario are going to return for Sicario 2. Mexican Boogaloo. <laughs> Please, I would, I would love that. Cartel Boogaloo. Would... Yeah, really look forward to it. Also, really look forward to finally watching the first one. Have you not seen the first one yet? I know. I feel like that film was made. What do you do for with your me life? as well? <laughs> what? What do you do with your life? You don't watch Sicario, man. Um, <laughs> I'm too busy watching Batman v Superman. Well, it takes four days to watch Batman Superman, so that kind of makes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seriously, uh, did it feel like four days for you? Because it, just... it felt like four weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, about two minutes into the film when you get the first visual Christ just... bit, that, that's about when I'm mentally checked out. Yeah. I cannot repeat safely on this recording what I actually said out loud. It just feels like all, all the good bits kind of skip by, 
and then it's just two weeks of just absolute boredom. And yeah. Should we let's have some more film news and then? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do more yeah. film news, more film news. Oh, uh, Jeremy Solnia. Do you know Jeremy Solnia? I do not. Do you I not? Now you do know his work. Interestingly oh, enough, he is the work? director of Blue Ruin. Yes, that's my guy. That's yeah. your, that's your boy, dog. That's your that's boy. My boy. Yeah. yeah, and he's also got the film uh, Green Room. Green Room. That looks he, amazing. He seems to have a weird thing about colours. Yeah, please tell me he's doing red something. <laughs> he's not. He's doing He's doing a thriller called Defection, Defection. Uh, for 20th Century Fox. I'm going to call it Red Defection, just to yeah, keep, it, that, keep it in. Funnily enough, it involves North Korea, so that kind of would work. Mm. I feel like we've got Blue Room, Green Room, Red Defection. Let's call it Red Defection. Yeah, that's, let's call it yeah. Red Defection. That's how it's going to work. It's going to be a 20th Century Fox about a US intelligence agent who uh, defects to North Korea. Oh, cool. So yes, and forces the CIA to turn to a grizzled Cold War vet. So, who would you who would you cast? Please, please, please be John Goodman. Please be John Goodman. Get me John Goodman in there. This would be amazing. Or I'll, I'll take Alan Arkin in a pinch. I I want a thriller starring Alan Arkin. Just split it up. Have them, have them both do it. That, that's what, or John Goodman defects to North Korea. And Alan Arkin. Yeah, that would work. Yes. Uh, what else have we got then? Uh, let's talk about oh the Snow White live action adaptation. Because... Oh yeah, about um, Snow White's sister. Snow White's sister. They're doing so Disney can't do a live action Snow White now because it's been, it got done twice in 2012, 2012 I think it was. We had Snow I, White and the Huntsman. We had yeah. Winter, Mirror Mirror. And, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. What's and, his name? Tarsum. Yeah, Tarsum Singh. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Mirror Mirror was better. Incidentally, that was the Julia Roberts as the Queen one. Because yeah, it was essentially that was the Army Hammer one. On. That was one where Army Hammer was the yeah. was Prince Charming. And Sean Bean, where he didn't die. Yes, yeah, Sean Bean was in that, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, doesn't die. But uh, yeah, so they can't do that obviously because it's, it's been done so recently. Mm, but Disney really so. want to make live action versions of all their films now, yeah. of all their animated tales. So they're going to do Snow White. But what they're going to do instead is reintroduce a character who's in the original fairy tale but has not been in any of the film versions because evidently Disney didn't put that character in in 1939, and all of our Snow White adaptation since have basically been riffing off of that. Yeah. So, the character of Snow White's sister, Rose Red, will now be reintroduced. And if they do not get Ruby Rose to play that, <laughs> there is something wrong with the marketing department at Disney. And I, I know the marketing department at Disney. They're pretty good. So, let's talk about Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is going to reunite with Alex Garland. Yeah, I heard about this. This is awesome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So Alex Garland obviously Ex-Machina directed him. So I know that's because the, they, they worked so on Ex Machina. Alex Garland and, and Oscar Isaac on yeah, Ex Machina. They were brilliant together. They're now going to work together again on Alex Garland's second film, which is going to be Annihilation, mm. which I'm looking. That's at. got quite a cast. It has yeah. Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson. This is she was so really good in Creed. She, Thompson, she was. Yeah. She was really good in Creed. Uh, but this, of course, pales in comparison to my favourite news of the week, which is. Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart are going to star in the remake of The Intouchables, which is a film that shouldn't be remade, but if you are going to remake it, if you absolutely, positively have to remake The Intouchables... That's pretty good. That's pretty damn good casting. I think Brian Cranston's good. <laughs> I've come to like Kevin Hart a bit more. Well, do you actually I think, like him a bit now? Yeah, I think it needs to be someone more like Omar Sy from the original. Do you know I think who we should get? Go on. Get Tyrese. Ooh. You get Tyrese, don't you? You get Tyrese. Ty- Tyrese my boy, man. Yeah. Tyrese my, Tyrese my boy. <laughs> so uh, Lenny Abrahamson, who directed mm. one of your favourite films of recent months, I believe. Room. Room. Yeah. Has decided to go from Room to more cheerful material. He's going to direct a World War One POW story called The Grand Escape. So... <laughs> That's, that's just a comedy, isn't it? <laughs> it's got comedic potential written all over it. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it probably will actually be funnier than Dad's Army. So, <laughs> hi oh, <Hi-o. laughs> uh, Let's talk about, oh, Kingsman 2 is going to officially be called Kingsman, The Golden Circle. It's mm, good title. Good title. Yeah. They've, not they've... terribly enthusiastic about the film. But <laughs> really? I'm not, no. There's something, did, did Kick-Ass teach us nothing? Don't make a sequel. Yeah, but Kick-Ass also didn't have Matthew Vaughan behind the camera. He was just an EP and he's going to be behind the camera for this one. Well, fair enough, then. So, that fills me with more hope. Okay, speaking of films I really have no interest in ever seeing, Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales <laughs> has added that cinematic thespian Sir Paul McCartney to its cast. Oh, two thumbs macca. Yeah. Yeah. Be- yeah, because we all had such a great time with Keith Richards in the last two. And, no, I don't... Why, why are they doing this to us? Yeah. Why are they even <clears throat> making another Pirates of the... 
because, uh, because money. Because money, yeah. 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 Because dot 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 money. And I, I'll pay six pounds to see Paul McCartney do a bass solo on top of a black pill. I would pay. pay I, I would pay money to push Paul McCartney off the plank. Really, <laughs> I really would. I find him so irritating. I, I like Paul McCartney. Of course you do. Of course, of do. course you do. He's not my favorite Beatle. He's Ringo's your favorite, isn't he? Uh, no, because I actually like the Beatles, and I'm not one of these idiots. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Ringo's, shut up. Who's your favourite? It's George Harrison. Of course it's George Harrison. It's George Harrison, okay. I was more of a John guy. Uh, of course you are. <laughs> what? He, he was a guy who just came up with random opinions, spouted them nonsensically, and eventually copped off into complete seclusion <laughs> with just a random chick he picked up and then lost himself in. Yeah, we should totally applaud all of his work for that. Well done. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, that's a, that's, a, that's a personality I can get behind. It's exactly what I would do. <laughs> so, should we, should we finally talk about Let's the, do it. Let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, or the 300-pound Kryptonian. My, oh. my Paul McCartney ticket that I've got. Have you got actually there. got a Paul McCartney ticket on your office wall? Yeah, it's right there. Oh, man. I saw him in 2003. Dear God, case. It was great. Great show. <sighs> sometimes. Um, sometimes Sometimes what? I just, just, just don't know. Just, I feel like I should euthanize you sometimes. Just, just for your own good. How? Play some John Lennon. Yeah, that would work. Imagine there's no suffering. <laughs> let's, speaking let's speaking of suffering, <laughs> Batman Superman. Yeah. Okay. Oh, segue. <clears throat> segue, yeah. So, okay, so we got to talk about this one. So, basically what happened was the movie opened. Mm. We reviewed it on the Wednesday lunchtime, if you remember. Mm. And it, I'd seen the movie on the on the Tuesday morning. That was that was the, the, the pressure for it. On the Tuesday morning, we were embargoed until 10 a.m. on the Wednesday. Every, uh, sorry, not, not that one. It was... Uh, oh, we were embargoed until te- uh, 8 or 10 p.m. that night. That was it. And then we were doing it the following morning. So, all the reviews came out. I put my own out in the, in the process as well. And... They were all, with one exception, resoundingly negative. Mm. And, God damn you, Alex Zane, what were you thinking? And the quote from Alex, incidentally, was absolutely positively brilliant. And I know Alex to be a sane and reasonable and, and, and genuine man. I, I cannot, for the life of me, figure out what he smoked before he saw the movie. I, I want some. I really do. Because it would change your opinion. Apparently it changes your world. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> so the movie opened, and we were actually doing our review right about the point that uh, that the internet started to kick back a little. Yeah. So the internet kicked back by basically declaring war on film critics, because apparently critics don't know what they're talking about. And if that's true because we didn't like Batman Superman, then it's also true because we did like Deadpool. So, put it this way, if you are one of the complete morons who ran around for the better part of a fortnight telling everyone and their grandmother that critics didn't know what they were talking about purely because we didn't like that movie that happened to star that bloke you like with the pointy ears, then consider the fact that you also liked Deadpool and so did we. So you're an idiot. That's how it works. That, that's actually how it works. Batman Superman you is... You red in the face a little bit, then. It antagonises me. Batman Superman is the biggest, unrelenting piece of s*** released on a cinema screen this year. You just swore on podcasts. I, 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 no, it's podcast extras. I can bleep that, and it can't... You can't do it for radio, but you can do it for, for podcasts. This is a very important distinction. So, yes, <laughs> Batman Superman is a festering, rotting of a movie. It is one of the worst things I have willingly sat and watched in my life. It is a film I would actually pay money to never have to see again. It is a film so depressingly moronic, so miserably cynical, so just just drippingly moist with its own self-satisfaction that I hate it with the fire of what can only be described as, as a thousand Kryptonian suns. I, I, it's, honest to God, just shit. There is nothing good about it. There is not, other than a few fleeting moments of Batfleck, there is not one good thing about Batman Superman. And I keep going back to the jar of p- around which it's plot seeming, uh, I use the term plot very loosely. Granny's peach tea. Granny's peach yeah. tea. It is just dreadful. It goes on for just a fortnight. Mm. As you say, for fortnight. It's just... 
someone, <laughs> you just sat there going, someone, please throw a pie. Just give this some <laughs> levity. I said that watching Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 yesterday. Oh, just, and I'm watching this film thinking, what in God's name is this? There's, there's yeah. a famous quote by, by Zack Snyder. Which says, the thing that struck me as really odd is how people really cling to, to the idea of Christopher Reeve as Superman. And I just don't get that. Do you, Zack? Do you not? Really? Because I'll give I, you I a I think hint. it's apparent that he doesn't. He really doesn't. And the reason we cling to the idea of Christopher Reeve as bloody Superman is because, for one thing, Christopher Reeve's Superman movies did not at any point make you want to open up your own veins. Which is, and, and which would actually be a comedic punchline if it actually took place during the plot of Batman v Superman, Yawn of Justice. Yeah. Which, believe Just me... add a bit of levity to it. It really would. I'm, mm. I'm not even kidding. A, 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 you know, one person randomly showing up on screen and committing suicide in the middle of the film would actually be more enjoyable than any yeah. other plot that's attribute. Your, that's your comic relief. Yeah. I, I mean, do you not love the fact that we said that the resolution of the conflict between Batman and Superman would fuel a thousand internet memes. And, and then what happened? Lo and behold. Lo and behold. <laughs> it, it happened. It didn't even take the week. Did we just become best friends? The, the film was yeah. out for 36 hours before I first saw a meme for that. Yeah. And we have posted something about like a dozen since. Oh, the, there's a Captain America Civil War one. Yes, I yeah. know. Stand out, final warning. Martha. Martha. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's, that's going to be it. You know, a, oh, I've, I've been really loving all those Cap Civil War memes where it's been like a picture of Tony, picture, and then at the end, Civil, Civil War. War. Yeah. I love, what's your favourite one? Uh, pro- probably just Batman v Superman. Oh, one, Batman where v Superman. where it's like, is, is your mum's first name Martha? No, Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> no, is your mum's first name Maria? Because we, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, of course. We put, yeah, it, yeah. We put, Maria, it, we put yeah. it on the on screen feed. And some smartass uh, commented on there, <laughs> I think you'll find it's Martha. And I'm sort of thinking, I, I'm pretty, I actually do know the complete biography of Anthony Edward Stark. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think you'll find that uh, his mother's name is Maria. So uh, who's laughing now, Mr. Man who presumably has a life, unlike me? Did you uh, send that <laughs> reply whilst wearing your Tony Stark brand sunglasses, by any chance? <laughs> Okay, which pair? <laughs> was it was it my weekday pair or my weekend? <laughs> Don't choke. Seriously, I have multiple pairs. I know you do. There's one sat in your kitchen right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of my douchier attributes. I grant you. So, can you think of any any positive any positive bits about it? Because um, no one. We always try and say this, no one sets out to make a bad film. No one sets out to make a bad film. And I, I looked long and hard, and I've always said, you cannot have a film with nothing good about it. Yeah. Because um, Batfleck. Batfleck, maybe Jeremy Irons, that, that's what I'd give Jeremy it. Irons, if he has more to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 I liked the, the Batmobile sequence. That was that was okay. It didn't make a whole heap of sense in terms of the narrative. Um, but... I, I like Larry the Fish, because a film is just 10% better if you've got Larry the Fish. Yes, Larry the Fish is always good. We should stress that we are we, we are referring to Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Larry the Fish is always fun. Um, I think, to be honest, my favourite thing about Batman Superman is that it ends... And yeah, about the point that it comes up with, directed by Zack Snyder, and there's what sounds like someone bashing their own head against a speaker set. Yeah. What actually passes for a score in in Batman Superman? That's about the happiest I felt. Hans with it Zimmer has since said that he's not going to do any more super uh, superhero films, and good. Yeah, frankly. good. Good. Please go away. Um, <laughs> about that Batmobile sequence, incidentally, this is what kind of really this really ground my gears a little bit about the film, which was. So, Batman's whole theological argument with Superman is he committed a large number of collateral damage-related incidents, right? Yeah. What does Batman do, exactly? Because even that Batmobile sequence involves him literally driving an armoured tank through buildings. Yeah. He then flies his Batwing, or whatever the hell that thing's actually called, and that looks ridiculous, by the way. He even flies his Batwing through yet more of them. Hmm. What 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 is this? So by the end of the film, Batman is no better than Superman. Oh, apparently, he can justify it for himself because he's human. Well, yeah. I mean, it is worth noting that you know we all flipped out when Superman snapped one neck, but Batman just seems to do it as if he's as if he's playing a drinking game. <laughs> it's like I'll show those Man of Steel fans who can win this one. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I found it dreadful. I found it really, really dreadful, and I, I I lost any shred of respect I ever had for Chris Terrio. 
Um, any goodwill that David S. Goya has ever earned has now been squandered. And I really wish he would just go away and stop proclaiming him to be this, proclaiming himself to be this he great said, fan. He's said some ridiculous things in public as well, hasn't he? He really has. I, I just, I want him to stop claiming that he is this great fan because quite clearly he isn't. And you sit and think, you, you can't be a great fan and do the things you do with these characters. It doesn't work that way. If you're a fan, that means you appreciate the things that make those characters those characters. To fundamentally violate them is, I think, well, at best unfair, at worst malicious. And I feel like Batman Superman is a two and a half hour exercise in malice. That's what it feels like. Mm. It feels like... It is the old Jurassic Park adage. It is. You were so concerned about whether or not you could. You didn't stop to think about whether or not you should. Whether you should. And that that's Batman Superman to a T. Um, yeah. I have... I mean, it is exhausting to talk about because it's exhausting to sit through. It is a physically draining film because mm. it is quite monotonous. Its action scenes are just thundering. They're mere dull and, and just Thudding, you know, and yeah, the CGI just, is just muddy in places. That's the thing as well. It's when, not when, a when good film to look at. No, it's not. When when Doomsday shows up, yeah, it's just so murky. <laughs> it really is. And when Doomsday shows to... up, he looks strangely like the newborn from Alien Resurrection. A little bit, yeah, he really does. And that also I found a little weird, but uh, yeah, it is a film that I just cannot wrap my head around and. I find that the kind of person who I kind of find, find the kind of person who says these these you know it's just a war by critics on on you know populist mainstream culture. No, it's not. We don't want to dislike films. We really don't. Hmm. Do Do you ever want to? I've never wanted to dislike a film. Not that I can think of. Calvin Prickett and I have talked about Batman Superman probably every second day. Why would you Why would you actively watch a film? Being like, oh, I can't wait for this to be absolutely terrible. Exactly, you wouldn't. You want to sit there and be entertained by the film. You want to find things that you like. You want to watch actors that you like. And... Right. Because the film has been in the film news circle like every second day for about the last two years. Yeah. On those days, Calvin and I have discussed it. I was like, hey, what do you think of this room? Do you think this one's going to happen? Or, hey, do you think Adam Driver's really going to turn up as Nightwing? Or, hey, <laughs> do you think uh, The Flash is really going to turn up at the end with a bunch of bat drones? And... and, and yeah. And we got so exhausted about it that at one point, about six months before the film opened, I, at one point, just, I just laid out an idea for Calvin, which was, you know what? We haven't considered one idea, which is, what if the film is actually any good? What if we actually go and see it and we're surprised? Mm. And it's amazingly good because what kind of studio would genuinely lay an entire franchise on a film as awful as this sounds? It has to be kind of surprising, surely. And then you see the film, and you realise how truly naive a notion that was, and I find that really depressing. Oh well, on that note, here it is, your moment of cage. I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! You want me to take my heartbreak? Put-